So, you know, uh, Biden, Biden's catching a lot of flack for building a children's detention camp. Um, so I was reading into that a little bit, and it turns out that, you know, essentially under the Trump administration, they, I mean, essentially just shut down the asylum process, like the court hearings of the asylum process. And Biden has since opened that back up. They have a backlog of over 1.2 million cases to be heard. And I'm well, like, that's, that's on top of the backlog that like existed <laughs> to begin with. So, I mean, like, how do you, Jordan, you could probably answer that better than, you know, I, I can even think of, but like, how do you, I mean, how many like immigration judges are, there? I mean, how do you even address that? Cause I mean, every day that continues to grow, but. So when the Trump administration came in, there was already like a backlog of people and they were processing applications essentially in the order that they were submitted but when the Trump administration came in they initially had this policy of like no you need to process uh, applications more qu like quicker when they to when they are submitted meaning that you know operations got shifted to to processing those applications that were being submitted at the time and then creating a backlog of the applications that had been previously submitted so already before they kind of just shut down asylum proceedings it, completely well i won't say completely but essentially completely um there was already this huge backlog they were creating because they weren't they were only processing current asylum cases instead of the backlog so essentially they made a double backlog it, it asylum judges I and mean, i don't know if you've ever like looked into asylum proceedings and a lot of it is dependent on like if you're doing an asylum hearing or if you're doing there's also deportation hearings. Depending on where they applied for asylum, they might do their first round of review at USCIS, so the United States United States Citizens and Immigration Services. Um, they might process through there first, and then if they don't get it, appeal to immigration court. So it's a huge backlog, and uh, immigration judges are not. It's like a job you apply for. They're not like regular federal judges that are appointed for life. You know, they're not. They have law degrees, but that doesn't mean that they have any background in immigration law to become an immigration law judge. And that was a big shift we saw under the Trump administration. They hired more immigration judges, but not people who are actually new immigration law. And immigration law is very convoluted. So you've got even judges in there that don't understand what it is that they're doing. So, I mean, it's just, this is not going to be a problem that'll get fixed overnight. Like they are going to have to really overhaul the system. The good thing is that the Biden administration did kind of it, or is canceling the Remain in Mexico policy so that people don't have to, you know, sit at the border in, you know, dangerous conditions while they're waiting for their hearings anymore. At least it looks like they'll be able to move more into, you know, come into the country and await for their proceedings since particularly because of this backlog, they could be waiting, you know, three, four, five years before they get a final decision. Here's here's a question for you. If you had to pick one thing that you could implement overnight. You can only pick one thing to assist with that process. What would it be? Um, that, that right to counsel for so, immigration cases. Meaning so, that they have a right to be counseled an by an attorney. The right to an attorney. Uh, most uh, well, there is no right to an attorney, obviously. So most of them don't you're have not, attorneys. A citizen. Well, it's no. It will no. It's because it's not a criminal proceeding. So, like, if an if an immigrant if a non citizen is commits a crime is arrested and then isn't like criminal court they will get an attorney oh, okay. um but immigration is a is considered a civil matter so it, they don't get attorneys and you know imagine you're in a new country where you don't speak the language and then you're trying to navigate the legal complexities of a system that most people in it don't even understand let alone mm. you where english might not be your first language um and also the success rate if there's an attorney there's a you know we can see the success rate of your case go from oh yeah, absolutely know, yeah four or 5% up to maybe, depending on the judge, of, you know, 50, 60% of a success rate. So I think that would be the best way. So at least that we would have, like, we could ensure that, you know, people were getting fair uh, proceedings and had a better understanding of what was going on and knew how to present their case. I think they had a pretty good ad campaign a few years ago. I think they showed like a, like a 10 year old Hispanic child, like sitting in front of like an old white man, like in an immigration court and him like making all these rules and the child just has no idea what is even going on. And in this, you know, is essentially deciding this child's entire, entire future. Um, and I think a lot of people don't understand that, that you have unaccompanied minors that again, have no ability to speak English and have no parental guardianship. And they're just sitting in a courtroom, not knowing what the hell is going on. So like, yeah, that's a, that's an important part. Um, other news 
I think Johnson and Johnson had a vaccine approved today for emergency use by the FDA. So I think they said they should immediately be able to get about 2 million vaccines out. I think 2 million is going to be, I mean, obviously any little bit's good, but 2 million is not going to give us a huge dent. Uh, I think they're looking at trying to get 10 million more out by the end of March. So obviously anything's better than nothing. So hopefully that'll keep us moving on the chain. I think Fauci and everybody right now says that by June or July that everybody who, uh, once a vaccine should be able to get one maybe they'll be able to speed that up a little bit i was pretty impressed i guess i didn't i didn't realize the um, uh, pfizer and the actual like developers they've doubled uh since they first released the vaccines they've doubled their production capacity to be able to put out twice as more so i would expect that to, to maybe get even higher as we move forward i think mansion came out and said hmm anybody anyone have their opinion on this okay how are you gonna be the senator from West Virginia, like when I think going to be blue, a Democrat from West Virginia. When I think blue collar white folk, like West Virginia, like these right. are like miners and the grandchildren of yep. miners, M I N E R S. Mm. Like how? Not Bitcoin mining either. How are you like not going to support economic populism? Or I'm not even asking him to be like a socialist or anything. I'm just saying like. How are you going to vote no to minimum wage increases? Right. Like, you got these poor ass West Virginians. I don't know. Man. One of the poorest states in the country. In the uh... trash. Yeah, I don't know. So Manchin is now all of a sudden becoming um, Mr. Celebrity himself, one of the most important senators. Lin- Lindsey Graham did a press conference today talking about the, the $1.9 trillion, the, the next stimulus bill they're trying to get through uh, the Senate. And he proceeded to say, obviously, Republican talking points because they're looking at going the reconciliation route to avoid you know the filibuster of the 60 vote threshold um so all the republican talking points are saying that you know this is completely anti what joe biden has said this is the furthest thing from unity yada 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 uh lindsey graham proceeded to say today that uh this bill has the most anti working together i think the most partisan thing that he has seen his his entire time in office Keep in mind that we just had an insurrection at the Capitol not even two months ago. So uh, Lindsay's lost it. I'm just going to say the Supreme Court for the tax or Trump tax reforms essentially sided with the Manhattan district attorney and said, nah, not Trump, hand over those tax returns. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they, I mean, they ruled on this, I believe, over the summer. And then Trump tried to like, essentially reappeal it under a different ground. And the Supreme Court didn't even just kind of knocked it down and said, nope. <laughs> like what we said over the summer holds so essentially you know the president is not immune from criminal investigation and because the tax returns are you know stemming from a criminal investigation it's in you know he has to turn those over and that the you know just him being president isn't enough to to block him from you know not having to hand those over mm-hmm. so. so huge huge victory for democracy in kind of that sense i know we're, we're obviously all focused on trump and whether you like him or whether you don't like him but obviously a really huge decision for decades to come as far as precedent you know to reinforce that presidents aren't aren't outside of the law so you know and, and i think house dems are trying to get a bill through right now it's probably not going to go anywhere but i like the effort um that any president convicted of a felony before during or after office uh, loses their right to pension uh their ability to i think rerun for office and a couple other benefits so Obviously, I don't think that's going to go anywhere. That'll die in the Senate. Um, but I like the effort. Before, uh, wait. So, anyone convicted of a felony before, even before office? Um, it might not have been before. It might have just been during and after. During or after. Yeah, okay. you're convicted of convicted of a felon during or after office. You lose your benefits, basically your presidential benefits. You know, I mean, it's yeah. good enough for black people. It's good enough for the president. So, you know, how it should be. Yeah, one more thing about Mansion. If uh, you oh, don't know mention. about the uh, Battle of Blair Mountain, look it up. Ten thousand West Virginian union workers declare war on the mining industry. Uh, multi-day, multi-week shootout uh, where workers fought for their rights in that state. West Virginia. Long wild, history man. of uh, working people standing up for themselves. Mansion is like a disgrace to the tradition of the workers' rights in that state. Yeah. Okay. Let's go to hot takes. All right. So my first hot take is about Deutschland. Mm. Uh, Germany has their big Bundestag election in September of this year. 
the AFD, which for Americans is the right-wing fascist party in Germany, uh, currently has about 8% of their legislature. Uh, my hot take is that this is going to super increase. Polling currently has the AFD at around 9%. So already they're predicting a small increase. However, in the past few elections at the state level, the AFD has like been able to gain more seats than before. Uh, we're looking at reaction to economic downturn. We're looking at to continuing unrest around immigration. We're looking at continued growth and uh, in the movement against the current uh, ruling party under Merkel. Um, so I, I think that 9% number is too small. I think AFD is going to get like anywhere from 11 to 15% of that election. And like, that sounds small because we're American, we have a two party system, but like AFD right now having 8% of the legislature there, they're already the largest uh, party in the opposition. So like wow. 11 to 12, uh, if the current opposition coalition takes power, AFD would like maybe have a significant impact on Germany. So. I'm predicting a less liberal, less uh, less global, less pro-European Germany in the in the coming years. I definitely think that in our lifetime, that one of the serious issues that we have to fight is a true belief that the Holocaust did not happen. Like that is going to be completely forgotten, and just you know, it's already here. It's growing. Yeah, and I don't know. I mean, that's concerning. But I would agree with that. I would I would think it'd be a lot more than a percentage. I I think I've heard Merkel talk about over the last couple of election cycles that she's her, she's kind of got some growing concern um, regarding them uh, and how kind of popular they're getting. Do you know anything just off the top of your head, like what, whether they're kind of like our right wing, like their media is really good or like, what is their strategy to growth? That That's a good question. Um, I'm looking at it more like, you know, Jordan last week talked about what's going on in France. If you're living in Germany, like, you know, what's going on in France, right? Some of these uh, extremist attacks, you're looking at like the economic situation. Also, like they have a pattern of growth. Like this is not like something where, you know, they started and stopped. Um, you also have like these mass arrests of neo-Nazi groups in this German special forces and in the military. Like, I know we've missed a lot of this stuff because the U.S. election, but, like, uh, it's not going well in yeah. Germany. Like, it's, mm-hmm. it's not going great. What year was it that we visited? Was that 16? Yeah, spring yeah, of 16. 2016. Yeah. Um, we visited Berlin, and I remember, I think one of our tour guides saying um, that they were already starting to have an issue among the youth of insensitivity towards the Holocaust and their history of, you know, the Nazi regime and stuff like that. So do we think, because I, I think, Previously, at the last election, Chancellor Merkel said, like, said that she kind of was probably only going to do one more term and then kind of stepped down. So here we are. Do we think she she holds on? Especially given, you know, if we look at the pandemic and, you know, a lot has happened since her election. Do you think she holds true and does step down? Or do you think she'll be, you know, maybe pressured to stay in the position a little bit longer? I mean, if you're her and you're looking at, like, this data and you're saying, like, I don't know, man, if the polling data says I stay in and that means that we defeat the Nazis, like you, you have to stay in, right? Mm-hmm. But if the polling data says no matter what happens, the outcome is murky, like, you know, maybe you follow through and step down. I don't, I don't know. Or again, does it get into a situation where it's they somehow start to blame her for the party's decrease in popularity um, and that kind of mixed with jadedness of her being up there for a while? She already kind of has that attitude of not wanting to partake in the pompous and all that crap of politics, especially on an international scale. So I don't know. I, mean. I know she's generally well liked. Like my my stepmom is from Germany and her family, they favorable to them. And I think, you know, she had like Germany on the whole handled the pandemic relatively well, which I think bodes well for her and her government. But yeah, I think it's I mean, she's been in office. She's been chancellor for since when, like the mid 2000s. It's been a while. I mean, like, I wouldn't blame her. <laughs> you just step mm, down. Like, she's retirement, man. She's for sure. She, she deserves it, and it's been a while. But I think I don't know. I, I think I, I'm thinking, given everything that's happened since the last election, I think she stays. That's tough, man. You imagine like all the work and like dedication and love you put into your country, and like you're just so tired, you want to walk away, and then the Nazis come back. Like, Obama. yeah, and I mean, their COVID stuff now isn't looking great. Turned like I think their vaccine, their vaccination rate is. Uh, like fivefold less in the United States. Oof. And obviously that's a capital issue. Like we're a wealthier nation. We can afford it. 
But if you think about like what Germany's built itself up and like being very proud of its systems of distribution, you'd think, I don't know, I mean, it could just be a pure money issue or the great empire. We can afford to vaccinate more of our people, but that's, that's not going to play well if it doesn't pick up. This might be, this is a hot take. We're going to, we're going to swing it back to the United States for my first hot take. My hot take is that Texas will turn blue before North Carolina does. Are you wow. saying in 24 or I'm not going to say when. in general. You're saying general. in general. That's <laughs> I think, fire. I think Ooh. Texas, I, I predict, and I, I always hate doing hot takes because I'm like, what if you're like blatantly wrong? And, and I, <laughs> this is one of those that like, I'm either going to be super right about or super wrong about. Yeah. But I, I'm going to say that Texas turns blue before North Carolina. I'm going to agree with you on it. Yeah. I think obviously like the Hispanic population has a lot to do with it. And that's a not so reliable variable anymore because as we've seen the Republican party is start to, you know, seep their message into the Hispanic population, unfortunately, but I don't know. I mean, I think we've been seeing a consistent trend over the last couple of election cycles of, of Texas becoming more blue, whereas us being North Carolinians, I kind of feel like North Carolina is slowly not becoming a swing state, even though we're pretty close, it still feels like, North Carolina is a swing state in the sense that, like, we vote Republican president, but we like Democratic governors. Like, well, North Carolina is a swing state if you actually look at the co- composition of the voters. But yeah. when you look at the districts, we're not a swing state. No, and, well, that's because we're gerrymandered as shit. But, yeah, and Texas is gerrymandered. But I mean, like, if we if we if we would have thought like ten years ago, would anyone have predicted that Texas, Georgia Georgia would go blue before North Carolina? No. I would say no. no. That's so I'm gonna Stacey Abrams is the second coming of Christ. Well, yeah. So I'm gonna I'm gonna take it even further, and I'm gonna say Texas will go blue before North Carolina does. I want to agree with you. But I'm so burnt out on Texas takes Ooh. from the 2020 election. Like you saw, Garrison and I got that election right. Neither yeah, of us thought scary. Texas was going blue, despite like you know some of the predictors and polls and whatever. If Texas is gonna go blue. We're, we're going to need a Stacey Abrams. We're going to need Stacey Abrams with a cowboy yeah. hat. It's, it's gonna yeah. Be and I, I mean, I think there's people there, like, I don't know, if we look at just the storm response, like with how they were in like ice for a week and, you know, we've got some sizable pol- political figures there. We've got the Castro brothers. We've got Beto O'Rourke. Don't say got- Beto O'Rourke. But I mean, the I'm thing really is, getting burned out on his ass, dude. But he appeals. But he appeals yeah, he does, he to, does. to white liberals, like he does. And right. the cash. I mean, I, I just think we've got a environment in which this could happen. And then we've got Ted Cruz going to Cancun, which, like, you know, people probably are not a big fan of. And I think if just the trend continues with what it's what's been happening in Texas over the last few years, I just predict that it goes blue before North Carolina. That doesn't mean 2024. That just means I'm just throwing out that I think that happens first. Okay. All right. Here, here's mine. You got to choose. We either get, choose which comes first, student loan relief. And by that, I mean, biting forgiven 10,000 or more or whatever, or we achieve herd humanity. So immunity or student so herd, herd immunity. So we get to what I think is like a 75, 80% threshold. They're predicting by like August, September. That. Yeah, I mean, way I, before student loan relief. I don't know about herd immunity, but like, uh, we'll get to like flu rates by before student loan relief. Okay, yeah. so when would you expect student loan student loan relief? What's your guess? Student loan relief to be continued. So he keeps talking about it as like a part of like COVID stimulus. Obviously, like forgiving student loans would do a lot to put money in the pockets of Americans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I don't know, man. I'm just like. I just, when it comes to student loans, I'm like, bro, if you're taking a dollar off of it, I'll believe it when I see it. It's it's really disappointing. To me, that's going to be, if they do not get that addressed, and even if they wait too long to get it addressed, I say he still severely takes a hit in 24, or Democratic approval rating overall takes a hit in 24, if it's not addressed within the first two years of the administration. Well, he's dumb because the thing is, this is complete. This would be completely unprecedented for him to re- to forgive any amount of student loans, right? Other than like when schools lose their accreditation. So, a hundred percent, this goes to the courts, a hundred percent. And therefore, you need he needs to buy time to get the legislation. If he's either going to, or if he does an executive order, okay, that's a little faster. But if they want to do it through legislation or whatever, 
they have to get all of that done. Then we have to prep up for a court battle, which is going to take, you know, a year, two years, because it's going to go through the courts, 100%, especially if he does it through executive order. So who are the ones that are going to sue the student loan agencies? Yeah, it could be that. It could be people who have purchased student loan debt, you know, their businesses right. that just buy debt. Uh, I mean, there'll be someone, they'll find somebody who's like Evil. benefits from student, yeah, some <laughs> person who benefits right. from student loans and will then sue. Betsy DeVos will probably be the first one, I'm sure, <laughs> countersuing. Jesus. So that's the thing. Like, I think you're 100% right is like, he's going to take a hit for this if he does nothing and especially, or if he does it too slow, but he also needs to count for like, if he does it and then it goes through the courts and it gets stalled, like if there's an injunction or something and they say, hey, no, not until a decision is rendered by the court. Okay, no one's going to be thinking, well, he passed it, but the courts have blocked it. They're going to say, hey, my student loans aren't relieved yet. Whose fault is that? Mm. So I don't know what the, why he's dragging his feet. Because I mean, here's the thing, $10,000 of student loan relief. Like there are people that will take all of their loans. There's many more people who that's just going to be a dent in it. So I think it helps people 100%, but it's more of a gesture, really. Like, I don't think it's, I think it does help people and it's something that should be done. But it's not like he's re- he's relieving everyone's student debt. So the fact that it is more of a gesture than some kind of really concrete plan is even more even just makes it even more baffling to me why he's dragging his feet. Like it's mm-hmm. not gonna you know ten, taking ten thousand dollars of someone's student debt is not oh that's a drop out of poverty. Bucket. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like I mean there are people who would get all of it and that's great, but for the bulk of student loan borrowers it's they're still gonna have student loans after the ten thousand. Yeah. so I, I just don't understand what his what, what the issue is what the holdup is yeah and he's i think he took a huge hit with millennials um when he did the town hall and said that no he's not going to do the fifty thousand. yeah my whole thing is like okay we're, we got one side that's at ten thousand and one side saying fifty thousand. so why can't we just agree to do twenty five thousand? Twenty five thousand is still not a lot but you know you're kind of getting there like most people are graduating with hundred plus, you know, you're, you're getting a little bit there. You could probably get people under six figures. So I think he took a hit with that. I think he was just in a rock in a hard place and just, you know, he probably couldn't come out of that situation really much of a winner. But the other thing is too, like if you somehow pass this, you forgive whatever amount of student loans, but you've done nothing to address the industry as a whole, the system that creates these loans in the first place. You haven't done anything to subsidize public institutions or community college, even though he says he believes in that. So I'm like, you're going to forget $10,000 of student loans and just keep pumping out billions of it every year. I mean, I mean, good luck getting any type of legislation through Congress that makes public education free or subsidizes universities and, you know, shit like that. So if we can boil it down to like real politic, like I, I don't want to revisit this debate, but like this is about the filibuster end of the mm-hmm. day. Like if they if the Senate Democrats would would do away with this outdated uh, useless rule, we could pass like meaningful economic reforms, including student loans, including uh, infrastructure projects, whatever. But um, I mean, honestly, like to a degree, I can't blame him for not wanting to do it through executive order, like partially because of what Jordan's saying about the legal system and they're not being precedent for this. Uh, but also like just the optics of like, you know, I, th- I think even there's probably Democrats who don't want executive power used that way. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I could, I don't agree with them, but I could see an argument made that the executive is not supposed to do that. Whereas like if the filibuster was to be done away with, we could, you know, we could get meaningful action on this, but pinning our hopes on executive action seems uh, futile. It's not a good position to be in for the courts either. Cause obviously it's probably headed to the Supreme court and with there being no precedent, you know, student loans didn't exist in 1776. And with a supermajority, super, you know, Republican supermajority on the Supreme Court, that's going to die in the water. They don't give a single shit about. Well, well what are you thinking? <laughs> I don't, okay, I, I'm not, I'm not confident it would pass, but I don't necessarily think it dies in the water. And the reason I think that is typically the conservatives on the Supreme Court are very in favor of strong executives and passing, mm-hmm. giving, you know, handing down rulings that support strong executives. And like, this would be coming through like Department of Education, you know, like something that falls within the executive branch. Like, Mm -hmm. so, and I don't know, I'm not a huge like economic person. So I don't really know like a lot about like who holds debt and all whatever, what impact that would have or whatever. But I think just based 
I don't think it dies in the water necessarily. I think it's a good point. It is because it, essentially they would be deciding whether the president has the power to dict to tell the Department of Education forgive these loans and like probably does <laughs> you know like it's his, so it's what, his own, what is the uh, argument against so that's he, why he can't that's, control financial matters of that that needs to go through the house I mean I think like the political angle is that recognizing that we're privileged and we're part of a privileged minority of people who have degrees and so like not to call debt a privilege but like less people have this debt than like we may think because the circles we operate in mm -hmm. and so when you're talking about vote getting there's a larger portion of the population that doesn't have degrees that you know you need to appeal to i mean I, i'm not i don't think majority rule is a good argument or anything but i'm just saying like the political optics of it like yeah that that's an angle like if i don't have debt why why do i gotta use my taxes to pay mm. for your debt you chose to right. go to school. and you know that's immediately the message that's coming out of fox news too is they're trying to get these to these people yeah and, and we all know it's about generational wealth and obviously like your kid will get to go to school right. have opportunities you didn't because of this etc but that's what it is man can't can't tap into that anymore i think i'm next uh and this is a decent follow-up chuck schumer is garbage uh, uh, compared to McConnell's long strategic plays, uh, I'm saying Schumer's unequipped to be the Senate leader in these times. I posit as evidence March of last year uh, when he implied that Gorsuch and alleged rapist Brett Kavanaugh were uh, going to be unfair justices. It's only been a year, but so far that has really not proven to be true. And not only that, but like, this was like a terrible blunder. The Chief Justice Roberts came out and condemned the statement. Republicans got to say, oh yeah, we're the ones who care about their courts while they're packing them. Like hmm. McConnell would never make such a short-sighted move ever. Uh, Mitch McConnell is exponentially better at this game than Schumer is. Yep. And all McConnell cares about is getting that seat back at the next electoral cycle. And so um, my hot take is Schumer is a hot steaming pile of garbage and Republican, or I'm sorry, and Democrats need to uh, move on from, from him probably as soon as possible. If they lose the Senate in 22 and regain it in 24, is he out? Yeah, he, he has to be. I, I, Who's I next think in like, line? That would like, be my question. Like, I'm very like... I'm very anti-filibuster, as is clear, but I'm I'm I'd be much more comfortable moving on from that without Schumer. Uh, yeah. that I don't know. I don't think there's anyone as good as McConnell in the Senate. Just same oh, way I don't think there's not. anyone as, as good at the game as Nancy in the House. It doesn't mean I like either of their politics, but right. um, it's the strategy, man. You gotta respect it. So yeah. here's I'll just to like follow up on this and I'll pose this question. Why why are Republicans so good at internal politicking and Democrats are not? Yeah, I think we, we asked this question to uh, Dr. Freeman, why, why did Republicans fall in line and dim scatter? Yeah, my answer is umbrellas. Like Democrats have a much bigger umbrella, more diverse constituency. Mm -hmm. um, and because of that, the, I hate to go so Marxist all the time, but it's about capital distribution. Like we have more groups competing for the small pot of money and so there's more lobbyists pulling in different directions. Whereas Republicans just have wealthy white donors that they're trying to appease. Yep. Yeah, well, you can unpack. We can make a whole episode around that. But, you know, just to kind of tie in with that, I think the morality of it's different too. I mean, these are pro-big business. They, they're, they're getting their pockets lined with, you know, contributions and lobby jobs and, and donations and things like that. So. I mean, it's not that hard to say like, hey, don't don't fight anything so you can keep making good money and have free health care and your family trees taken care of. So, mm -hmm. you know, whereas like a lot of Democrats are genuinely, I don't want to say a lot, but hopefully more than half are genuinely coming from a place of like wanting to make the world a better place and help people and, you know, sacrifice for that and, and that kind of stuff, you know, sacrificing for their greater good. And that's just not a message, you know, that realize that we're on the right, so... Well, especially when the, the party can't agree what the greater good is, right? Exactly. And if, and if it's everything is, I think something that is warranted in some cases, but not in all cases, but something that always harms the Democrats is that they take every battle as like the hill they're going to die on. Mm -hmm. And like, 
you can't do that. <laughs> like you can't right. politic with every issue being it's this or nothing. Like you have to take concessions and like that's our political system. And it is harder for the Democrats. Like you said, like we're under a much wider net. They cast a much wider net. So there are more people to consider, but like, that's what I see their problem being right now is that every little thing is, well, we're not going to compromise. We're not going to budge. We're not going to do this. And it's like, you know, I get it. Cause like the Republicans don't do that. And I get that you don't want to like kowtow to them, but at the same time, like people need help. <laughs> so like, is, is the short-term benefit of like not caving into the Republicans worth the long-term impact of you not doing anything. And no. ultimately, if you never do anything, you're going to lose election. So it's a lose, I, lose, man. That's a, that's a perfect way to sum up the last decade of the Democratic Party. This is a lose, lose. Like you found yourself like, oh no, we don't want to push too hard. And then we don't want to push hard enough. So, and that's how you went from a 60 filibuster proof majority in the Obama era down to 50-50. So. Rip. <laughs> and Chuck Schumer's garbage. And Chuck Schumer, I will agree with you on that. Chuck Schumer's garbage. You know, whatever he's trying to like code millennial votes right now. I'm like calling him and Warren calling for the fifty thousand, but that's it's, I think it's like a popularity tour he's going on. What do you think about Nancy? About Pelosi? Uh, Nancy's a Nancy's a zombie, and she needs to go. Na- Nancy's a political monster. I mean, like, she she definitely is. Yeah, right? but she what did you say? She's elitist. No, she's a beast. Like oh, she, she's I, probably I elitist she, too. I, I think she's elitist. <laughs> that's what that's, elitist. That's what I was gonna call her, like elitist. So it's like you know, like I'm happy she's on our side. It's like you said, she basically is the Mitch McConnell of the House, and you know, thankfully she's on our side. Uh, but she's power hungry. I don't know, man. And it's like she would, she would die in that position rather than secede it to somebody else, knowing that that person could take the party in a, in a refreshed and a better direction. She would rather die in power than you know man that sounds like four supreme court justices during the obama era (laughs) now look where we're at yeah yeah they're all gonna die holding on to power and leave everyone else fucked yep all right jordan you got another one yeah i mean i don't think it's really a hot take um because i think it's like the writing on the wall but uh supreme court reform reform not happening (laughs) in this administration at least in the next 30 years 30 (laughs) years really you don't think anything happens with the supreme court Nope. Hashtag remind me. <laughs> you, don't, you don't think uh, I can see Republicans doing some evil shit and making it like only right wing judges are allowed to be appointed and <laughs> Don Jr. gets elected. And, yeah. In order for in order for them to to to, to us add seats to the Supreme Court, yeah, that's just a law, okay. But then they need sixty people. <laughs> Not happening. Nobody's doing that. And the thing is, even if Republicans got to sixty people, if they're at sixty people, do we think they feel the need? to add seats maybe i mean depending no, on because right. they don't lose that majority what for yeah, at least 15 I mean, years yeah so mm-hmm. i think supreme court reform is this very nice talking point that we point to particularly democrats look we're losing if we do this we can fix the court and then nobody cares about it for another four years until it's time for either somebody dies or it's the next election cycle and then we talk or if there's a, another crazy ruling and then we move on it's just something that we talk about that will never actually happen and and to do life like to do term limits or anything like that that's an amendment that's not happening mm-hmm. so really the only thing they could do is add seats to the court and they would need 60 in the senate not happening on either side of the aisle so all right my last one is another opinion one i know we all have our individual opinions about whether joe actually runs again in 24 on the ticket but she's put that to the side. Your opinion. Do Dems have a better chance of winning presidential race? And try to not give like, I know like a lot can happen in four years and that all depends on if somebody can get reelected, obviously. Try not to think too much into that. Just on the surface, the Dems have a better chance of retaking the presidency in 24 with Joe Biden running or without Joe Biden running. Oh, well, I mean, that's hard with his age and consideration. Like I, like, all of that. Gosh, give me the person that pops in your head. I, can I? Okay, this it's like so hard because we're all like political <laughs> science people. So we're like trying to simplify such a complex question. Do y'all remember that- uh, like the Cambridge Analytica hack? Yeah. And, like how they got that data using the app where like you could 
put your photo in from Facebook and it would like make you look older. Yeah. And that's how they look. At, so we need like one of those where it makes Joe look younger. And if they like, like run that, steal everyone's data, you got this young Joe on everyone's screens. Uh, you, you got it. Is it bad yeah. that I don't even think the Dems will win in 2024? Oh, like, really? That's depressing, Jordan. Don't that's, put that in. That's the hottest thing Okay, here's episode. okay. And the 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 I wait, here's the thing. If Trump, if this Patriot Party does break off, if that were to happen, then the Dems win. A hundred percent. Right. Do it. If it doesn't, and let's say Trump or a Trump affiliate <laughs> gets the Republican nomination. Because here's the thing, Joe Biden, ugh, he's there's no way he's already like you know he's he's falling behind and then <laughs> four years from now like heck no kamala i don't i don't think harris has the, 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 i don't know and then if we look at who else is around uh why do we no, ever, they have why, nobody in the party that that's not why is it so it. why is it so hard for us to find leaders i don't understand because We're, everybody's holding on to oldness dude we don't have any <sighs> they're doing a terrible job of recruiting the new generation into the party a terrible job and then there's no talent acquisition to even go and discover somebody who could run a ticket all the way from the local level and mentor that person and build them up i mean there's like no outreach from the democratic party on like any scale that's going on here trying to do talent acquisition or even think on that kind of level we're like the talent we do have is too ahead of their time like i think aoc would be a oh. great candidate down the road not just because i like a lot of her policies but like, i think she would be an she excellent has the media senator. game now she has yes. a she's beautiful like you mm -hmm. go on television i mean she's like your classic young democrat who comes in with fresh she's ideas like and does shit done but uh <laughs> she I, I she's too ahead of her time and that's I the agree. Like, we have to push these narratives we have to do better reception storytelling around like words like democratic socialism but until that time we're fucked okay so so jordan says the party's fucked either way <laughs> look at what he's saying I don't know, man. I don't know. <laughs> That's, I don't want to give a hot <laughs> take on this, bro. Joe is too. He's he is he's too old, bro. He's too old. Okay, and but just like take just take age out of. I mean, obviously, age is going to be a thing. But let's just say purely on Joe Biden, like the age out of Joe Biden's like taking gifts from Santa <laughs> Claus. Like all you're left with is this weird man who shows up. Like I can grab your it. shoulders. Because you're sitting on his lap, bro. <laughs> I think even if we take age out of it, I'm still not like he. I, I don't know. We're only basing it off this first few months in office, but like FDR, baby. <laughs> so my answer going in was that they had a better chance with him, but I've, I've now you guys have convinced me that they're fucked for the first time in American history, bro. We're gonna have. A one and one, both fucking parties, bro. We're just gonna go down to one term each. Can't get shit done. Jesus oh. Christ, how depressing is this shit? It just sucks. It sucks it because, especially because Democrats should be sweeping these elections. And like, that is the most frustrating part is there's no reason why we should not have a majority, a super majority. Yep. And that these presidential elections shouldn't even be a competition. But for whatever reason, we can't get our shit together. We die on every hill. We can't have any, it's like we've got super old people and 30 year olds, okay. <laughs> and then some really mediocre people in the middle that nobody even knows or- Not are exciting at all. Yeah. yeah, like, so we have no like, that's the question like, okay, if it's not Harris, if it's not Biden, then who? couldn't tell you <laughs> like mm -hmm. Buttigieg boring like mm. Ossoff maybe but like also kind of has that Buttigieg kind of like vanilla flavor like yeah. he's just eagle kind of, yeah just kind of like yeah. he's cool like he's a good you know I, I think he's a good candidate but like is he gonna excite people to go vote I don't you know like Castro. I really like him it's just you know the party I don't think the party supports him that's the problem the party keeps supporting these like vanilla vanilla like run-of-the-mill democrats that would have won in like the 80s 90s. 70s 80s 60s <laughs> like these really like well he's a different like just has democrat next to his name and will win yeah you can't do that anymore like you have to get exciting candidates and we cannot do that <laughs> for whatever reason like i don't understand but we just kill ourselves before we even have a chance like we we don't even let give ourselves a chance to get to the the arena we're dying out in the parking lot 
Yeah, I do, I do <laughs> have hope. You know that the the older our generation gets, and the more the the other generations die off, and we hopefully get in there. But I just worry that Republicans don't fuck up too much shit. Twenty forty, AOC versus Marjorie Taylor Greene. Oh my god! You, the fact that the Republican Party would even still exist and enough to be on a presidential ticket in twenty forty is depressing enough. Is that it? Is that all the hot takes we got? Yeah, now that we've uh, depressed ourselves. <laughs> we got headline of the week. Anybody got a good headline of the week? I think you're up first this time, Garrison. Ooh, 24-7 news cycle. Here we go. <laughs> Here's another hot take, not political related, just real quick. I am 110% behind remaking the NBA logo into Kobe. How you feel? As a non-avid NBA watcher, I support this. Because <laughs> um, the current one is um, Stockton West. West, Jerry oh. West. That's Jerry West. You're right. I think you're right. Kyrie had a really good point today. He kind of re-sparked it with an Instagram post. Um, said that the league, the current day league, was built by Black Kings, and uh, we should honor those kings. That's every – not – yeah, every sports league. Any major sports league in this country yeah, was founded. Major sports league. <laughs> the hot take it in chills not a major sports league and that's the hot take there it oh is oh my god bro <laughs> all of eastern europe and russia is about to come for this pod so hard all of our bank accounts are getting hacked we're getting trolled oh my god but like basketball football baseball like come on dude in baseball baseball's not even black look at like the south american representation of baseball american baseball would not be what it is without you illegally helping cubans and other south americans get here to get in well, and, and Ooh, afro- some ways into the puerto ricans versus african-americans war yeah, afro- afro- i'm a white Latinos. man taking a side <laughs> afro latinos and latinas latinx you can be black and hispanic or we're gonna get canceled <laughs> But see, this is what's cool. Everybody has morals and we all get along. That's when you can joke about race. When we're all like, okay, yeah, this is a joke. Not, hey, I'm actually a Nazi. I can make this joke. Yeah, we, I mean, hey, I think we are a good group of friends. We call each other on each other's bullshit. That's, that's what you <laughs> Oh, yeah, like friends. what I said. I wish I could go back in time to the 1950s because it seemed nice. <laughs> for you. <laughs> for a white man. Couldn't even We've fucking vote. Jordan was like, I couldn't fucking vote. Just thinking of the soda shop. Exactly, where the white picket fences. It, it sounds good until you're like, oh. Interstate's getting built, you know, get a nice white family. Meanwhile, like, I can't get a home loan. Can't get, can't get, <laughs> can't get a school. job. Can't <laughs> sit at a fucking the soda counter. Okay, let's get to these fucking headlines. I'm coming at you with your weekly, monthly, whatever Florida update here. Got some more DeSantis news for you. This one's from Nicholas Riemann from Forbes. Uh, headline, another wealthy Florida community reportedly offered priority access to COVID vaccine as DeSantis calls criticism, quote, a joke. For those that don't understand, if you do some research on this, um, I think I mentioned a little bit last episode where he caught some flack over giving publics uh, an exclusive vaccine distribution. Uh, for those that don't know, the heiress of Publix is a avid Trumpy um, and donated 100000 to DeSantis's reelection campaign. Um, and it appears that even more than I was aware of it, that he is showing this trend in a lot of areas, including wealthy white communities that a lot of his donors live in, uh, while there is a clear data showing that minority and low-income neighborhoods are clearly not getting enough vaccines delivered. Uh, and this is the man that the young Republicans want to run for president in 24. How are we feeling? I could easily see DeSantis being a top three finalist for the Republican ticket. He's like number five in the betting odds right now. Yeah, I'm telling you, I can see it. And it's because it, it's the image and the way he talks is enough to really get across to the middle-aged, uneducated white voter. He doesn't need to be as bombastic as Trump is. He still has the same message as Trump. But this time, it's almost like people were like, damn, I wish Trump would just stop tweeting. You know, mm-hmm. people just do his job and stop tweeting. Well, DeSantis is that representation. DeSantis is if Trump stopped tweeting. So mm-hmm. by the current standards of the Republican Party, he might be a scarily accurate fit. Hot take. GOP ticket runner, 24, Ron DeSantis. Do we think that like even, I don't even, I guess more traditional Republican, I don't even know what to call them anymore. 
traditional are there, republicans. are there tradition do traditional republicans even exist but i mean or, i'm thinking or, of like i'm thinking of like a nikki haley or even well, maybe, what is a traditional republic but like? I, I mean like what republicans look like pre-trump and now and then what republicans are now can a tra- traditional republican even win are they gonna be on a presidential ticket yeah no no i don't think a traditional one can no which is going to be very interesting because I think Nikki Haley has a very good chance. Obviously, a lot can change in you know three years, two, three years. But it's going to be very interesting to see if she does start to gain popularity, how she has to balance her traditionalism with the new era conservatism, you know, to appease both halves. Because if they get to like we were talking about, you know, if they split into this fucking Patriot Party or whatever, obviously the you know traditional Republican Party is going to die. But you know, even if it gains a little more momentum, you know, kind of similar to what the Tea Party was they're going to run into a democratic problem, just not on as big a scale as Democrats have with all these multi-parties, but how do you appease both sides to get them to come together? Because all Trump has to say is like, oh, don't vote. Don't vote for that person. And then, you know, millions of people mm-hmm. aren't going to vote. Honestly, I hope they make the Patriot Party. Same. It's, it's, I think that's too much to hope for. It's, it'll be a Tea Party movement again. What is the Patriot Party? It's the National Socialism the Party. Exactly. <laughs> I'm going to start holding fucking Nuremberg rallies out in goddamn Montana or something. Oh, God. We're going to have to have, like, the Sacramento trials. <laughs> <laughs> Make it work for yourself, my man. Oh, it's just going to It comes cut. to it, Garrison. If it comes to it. It's going to cut right there, baby. I that, clip, that clip's coming out on your uh, election trail. Dude. Oh, yeah, it is. It's going to be like Bernie when he was talking about Castro in 16. You're going to be like, really, bro? I'm catching flack for talking about when to hang a fucking Nazi. What have we what have we become? You know? How dare you? How dare you? My grandfather didn't fight these bastards for them to fucking come back. We where did, did we get to this point of like where we no longer respect college degrees? It's just because everybody had one and then we turn it into like non-degrees versus degrees. Cause like I have conversations with these people or like see things they post, and I'm like, bro, you are from rural North Carolina, have never done anything more than 12th grade. What in the fuck right do you think you have to talk about socialism? Well, we talked about socialism in my class the last two weeks. And I was, I essentially told them, I was like, you need to separate socialism from the Soviet Union. Those two things are not the same thing. And I'm like, when someone, when, because I even asked them before, I was like, what do you think of when you think of socialism or communism? And they were like, starvation. And because we were talking God. about, and I had to like, you know, we went through Karl Marx and whatever. And I was like, you guys have to, you cannot, those things are not the same. I was like, there has never been a true socialist country that has ever, I was like, it just hasn't happened. And I'm like, you can't, I was like, we talked about the reasons why that hasn't happened. But I was like, just because a country calls themselves socialist does not mean that they are actually socialist. I'm like, communism is the same way. You can't even, well, nobody, well, same can't way. I mean, I, I, I pointed out China. I was like, China would call themselves communists, but let me tell you, they're killing the capitalism game. (laughs) Right. Yeah, I feel like you can't even you can't even talk about Marx to talk about like what communist thought is nowadays, like because you have like Bukakin, like Lacanian synthesis, and like it's a whole it's a whole school of critical theory. Like it's an Mm -hmm. it's a giant massive school of people who don't. Some of them may have never even read Marx. Like I guess like to your question, Garrison. Like one is like I understand. From my understanding of history, America's always had a distrust of intellectuals. Like, it's one reason like Thomas Jefferson like came to power through basically being an opposition force. He was not in the original. I'm talking about the presidency. Obviously, he was influential early on. But the and then the other thing, the other major answer is like the internet. Everyone feels like they have uh, a democratized, equalized access to information, which is true. But like, I mean, if you put like some bum some bum from like i don't want to say up the streets because that denigrates homeless people throw some bum in like a a a biology lab that doesn't mean they know how to use the beakers that doesn't mean they like they may have all the chemicals but they won't be able to produce shit like college is about like methods and theories and how to work with this information and like that's the part that there should be respect for let's democratize all the data give everyone all equal access to the data but like you still have to learn how to use it right well, and the thing, the thing, what I find interesting about college, and Logan, I think you're right. There's always been this mistrust of intellectuals, government, all of that. But it's interesting because you know most people don't like want their kids to go to college. Like even people who are you know elites are telling me what to do or whatever still want their children to go to college, and they still like have some kind of trust in the institution of universities and higher education. 
but yet when those same people are turning around saying like hey you're not looking at this issue correctly or like let me show you some data to show you why you know your opinion might not be exactly right they like freak out and so it's just very interesting to me that like we trust in the institutions with our family and like we want we consistently send business towards those institutions but then when those institutions you know or people from them turn around and say hey look at this piece of information I just discovered. Like, we don't want to listen to it. Yeah, and and you just remind me of one other piece, which is like, we don't know how to handle evidence or like what a preponderance of evidence is or how to accumulate evidence. Like, I feel like Americans, especially, uh, maybe, maybe that's too general, but many Americans who don't value um, well-reasoned argument, it's because they don't appreciate uh, the lengths you have to go to to prove something. Like, and Jordan, you can appreciate this from law, Garrison, you can appreciate this from finance. Like mm. you have to have the evidence to back up your claim. And if someone yep. throws a claim at you without showing you evidence, without demonstrating their examples, the logic of what they're saying, you don't have to accept it. You can say, mm -hmm. cool, nice thought and move on. That that evidence collecting process has been, I don't know, it's been disrupted or maybe it's always been broken. I'd also say like a huge part of going to school was like your exposure to these different types of theories and understanding that it's there's no one theory of anything if there's one consistent that we learned it was that we learned about these theories learned where they were good but then also learned where they were all bad at and so one of the reasons that we went and got an education was to understand like here are the good parts here are the bad parts and you mix and match those and there's such this obsession around you're either this system or that system and you look at one reason why china does so well is because it understood hey to be able to grow and compete globally we have to have a free market capitalistic economic system but then they also really excel because they're socially communist or culturally communist and that allows them to have extreme control over their population that's a negative of you know what it kind of looks like so it's really frustrating when people are like oh america is not socialist yada 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 your snowplows driving down the street in Texas are fucking socialist. That's your tax dollars paying for a system to provide a benefit for everybody. Whether you're rich or whether you're poor, the street gets cleaned of snow. This is why I've always believed that capitalistic economies should go through ups and downs of true free market and then guided hand to rein it back in. Just like the stock market has ups and it has recessions and that corrects itself. Should do the same thing. Okay, Wall Street's getting out of hand. Let's tax trades. Let's tax capital gains. Let's reel it back in, invest in the community. When that investment prospers, we back off with your regulation. But we don't have that. It's just like, oh, I'm gonna get rich and rich and rich and rich. I'm gonna suck all the resources up. And then when it's all dead and gone and you can't eat the money, then you realize, oh shit, we should have done this differently. And I can't even have a conversation with somebody like that who is just waving a fucking Trump flag in a crowd trying to start an insurrection, you know? So I hate that we end on depressing notes. Yeah, I mean, that's a good transition to my headline. <laughs> what you got? 350,000 a year and just getting by. Mm. So y'all remember like a meme that probably went around a couple of years ago about like this family posted like, you know, we make 350,000. Oh, so Annie Lowry, uh, the last names that drew me, uh, for those of you who don't know, are undergrad institution that's a very common last name uh annie lowry at the atlantic wrote this article and like she bashed the hell out of this and like one of the things she points out she like shows some other examples like there was a couple both of them are lawyers and they posted oh we make five hundred thousand, and we're, we're struggling every day and like one of the things she points out is like we don't understand wealth is exponential in this country so like if you make 350k you're in the 10 percent 90 percent of the people in america make less than you and your quality of life is actually closer to how the richest live than how the poorest live. For instance, everyone that she reviewed sends their kids to private school, which costs uh, some of them 70K a year for these people. So like you're talking about, I'm struggling. Meanwhile, you have a quality of life that someone who's actually struggling would never recognize. And I guess I just want to point out like the wealth gap in this country is is far worse than we usually talk about we ever talk about none of us come from significant wealth we understand what it what it means to be middle class we probably know a little bit about what it means to be doing worse than that and yeah i, I just thought it was a great article tearing down these people who are in that 10 percent and and still think that they're they're suffering and these are the type of people that end up voting for desantis in 24 right because <laughs> i want tax cuts that'll benefit me yeah also let's not forget uh coming from a banker i can tell you that no matter how rich you are people can live outside of their lifestyle 
and it's very easy to do so. I've seen millionaires go bankrupt in a matter of months. Private schools get on my damn nerves. And, and I, I don't know, like I get really like upset about private schools. I, I guess it's one thing if you are a religious, a really religious household and like you want your child to be in a religious environment, like, okay, I get that. But like elitist, like high like prep schools and private schools, like I just, it makes me so mad that people do that and still do that. Or how about I, the varsity blues scandal? You're just paying to get your kids into yeah, top tier colleges. To me, it's like, I don't care how rich I ever am. My kids are going to public school. <laughs> like, I don't care. I'm like, they're going to go to public school. And I, I'm like, I just don't see why we can't, like, just send your kids to public school. They'll be okay. You can be, you can be very successful and go to public school. Especially if you're, if you are making 500 thousand dollars a year and you send your kids to public school i promise that they can still afford whatever college right. you can afford to pay for whatever tutors or well have. that's a that's a huge point that actually gets brought up in why public ed- education has got significantly worse over the decades is because pro-choice when it comes to schools has prospered and so again if you allow the rich to take their kids out of public schools and put them in private schools they no longer have to care about what's going on in the public schools lack of attention, lack of, you know, donations and funding sent that way and so on and so on. So again, I don't worked out my thought on it. I know I'm, a, I know I'm opposed to charter schools. I don't want public money going to private institutions, Yeah, but I do wonder if there's a moral imperative to get the best education for your child. Right. And if that best education is within your price range to like afford a preparatory academy, I don't know. I, I haven't really started out my thoughts on that yeah. question yet, yeah. but I, I think part of education and us going to the most diverse school east of the Mississippi at the time we were there, mm-hmm. part of education is interacting with people who are different than you, have different ideas, Absolutely. different ways of being. And so like, you're not going to get that same level of diversity 99% of the time at a preparatory academy or private school that you would in public school. So that's a that's a counter argument to it too. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. My my thoughts aren't fully sorted on it. Yeah, and I get like I mean I don't have kids, so I I mean and I understand like you want what's best for your kids, but I just can't see that if you still have all that money, they're still going to be fine. You know, like it's just like you can still. I don't know. It's so weird to me. I was like, my kids are going to public school unless I'm in some kind of position that like it threatens their safety to do so. <laughs> like. Even if I'm president of the United States, I still would want my kids to go to public school. And obviously I recognize that would not be possible, but like, I just am very like, even my, and my mom, when I was a kid would say like, if we had the money, you would be in private school. And I would always get, I'd be like, no, I don't want to go to private school. Like just what's wrong with public school. And I've just, I don't know. I said, I've always been that way. I'm just like, I don't see the, like, send your kids to public school. It's fine. They'll be fine. Yeah. I really like what you said, Logan, about the kind of like the cultural implications of that. Cause I know, um, younger in a child's life when they're getting ready to start school usually whenever they you know getting ready to like decide if you want your kid to do preschool or not they'll say well they need to start getting the social interaction and and yada 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 and and we kind of drift away from that as we get older but to realize that it's not just an educational experience but also being around people that are not from the same background as you not from the same class as you potentially not even from the same country as you um and what that means um you know, as you, as you grow older and, and take those experiences with you in life, that's vastly important. So it's a very interesting point you bring up. Yeah. I mean, I'd be open to having like a, an episode with an educator. I know someone who has like a master's in education um, be really that could interesting. be interesting. Cause I know like one of the issues is um, there's this book called the meritocracy chat uh, trap. And one of the issues it discusses is like, we want to think America is a meritocracy and the best way that's instituted is through higher ed. Like you work hard enough, you get into Harvard, like, you're going to improve your quality of life but the reality is like there's these pipeline systems that exist so like mm-hmm. harvard recruits from these preparatory academies duke you know whatever good good schools recruit from these preparatory academies and so like it's a it's a tricky question like to what degree do we need these systems while they exist and what should we do to like actively demolish them mm. yeah i mean a third of our supreme court went to the same prep school in dc Shoot. like come on yeah <laughs> And then uh, also, uh, Logan, that uh, I can't think of the author's name of that book that you just mentioned, but he Markovitz or something like that. He did do uh, Ezra Klein had him on his podcast. Um, and I, that episode was very interesting. It was well, probably one of the best episodes of that show it was about, you know, his book and his findings on that. So 
Jordan, so. did you listen to Klein's interview with George Will? Oh wait, how recent was it? Because he doesn't there he's not releasing new episodes anymore. Mm, it may not have been on like his old platform. I'll send it to uh, you. It's it's okay. the conservative case against democracy. It's disturbing. Conservative interesting. <laughs> yeah, it's terrible. Do you have a headline, Jordan? Are you good? Uh, I don't have one. So... That's all right. You can excuse. All right. I think that's all we got. So, well, we'll probably be back in a week or so. COVID relief may be in the Senate by then. And God knows what else will be going on. Should be some fun Supreme Court decisions coming down in the next hey, okay. weeks. Would uh, you got you know any off the top of your head? Any like one or two big ones? Yeah, they're going to decide if, can you enter a home without a warrant under hot pursuit? So essentially, if, you, if you're trying to, if you're chasing someone who has committed a felony, Mm-hmm. Um, and they run into someone's house, you can go into the house and get the person. The question is, can you do it if it's a misdemeanor? Ooh. And there's also one about um, warrantless searches for firearms. So some good criminal law ones right now, which criminal law cases like Evan Blow with the Supreme Court. So mm-hmm. Love a good and some asylum asylum cases will be coming too. Maybe we'll have a little bit more on uh, immigration, but I doubt it. I don't. I don't really think they're going to do much until they can probably try to get this thing out of the way. So, other than that, we'll be back then to talk about it. <laughs>